Welcome to the Mediocre Outdoors Podcast, where we talk about everything outdoors. After living with teenagers, I decided that I have a lot of knowledge left and nobody really to give it to. So, I created this podcast so that I can give my information and my knowledge to you guys and pass it forward. Alright guys, so this one has some audio issues, and uh, I can't really figure them out. There's something going on with uh, my microphone when I edit, that it kind of makes everything sound like I'm in a tin can. So, uh, editing issues on my end, but due to time restraints, uh, I didn't want to wait Um another week to give you guys content because I'm running short on time and uh, anyways so I figure you're just gonna have to deal with a little bit of crappy audio but the message is good and there's some good information in there so uh, hope you guys enjoy talk to you later let's talk about chainsaws today so I'm sure some of you have used a chainsaw maybe some of you haven't maybe chainsaws scare the holy crap out of you I don't know you look at a chainsaw, I mean, everybody's kind of got a, in their head what a chainsaw looks like. You have basic parts. The three basic parts are the power head, which is the engine, the part that runs the chainsaw. And then you have a bar, which is the quote-unquote blade. And then you have the chain, which is the cutting surface that runs around the bar. Those are your three main components of the chainsaw. So if we're going to break that down a little farther... We can look at the bar, and the bar usually has one or two bolts or studs that hold it to the power head or the engine. And from there, there's also an adjustment screw on the power head to adjust the bar back and forth to tighten the chain. Um, there's also an oiler port on either side of the bar. Uh, right around the same area where the studs attach the bar to the power head. And then you have uh, the channel that the chain runs in, and it goes around the outer edge of the bar. Uh, also, on a lot of bars nowadays, uh, they also have a rotary gear at, at the tip. And this helps the chain rotate around the tip without binding. And sometimes you have to oil those and sometimes you don't. Um, just depends on which one you have. And that's basically the parts of a bar. And then you have a chain. Now your chain has some components in itself. So if you look at a saw chain uh, off of the bar, you'll see the underneath side or the inside of the chain because it's a circle. Uh, the inside there's like these triangular looking uh, pieces that hang down. Those are called drivers. Now those push the chain along the bar. Now that is done by a gear cog that is attached to the power head side of the chain. And what those do is they push them around the bar. They sit in that channel on the outer circumference of the bar. And they push them along the bar so that they can move. Um, and then you have links, just like on a bicycle chain. They have links with little studs in there that uh, pinch the, the different links together and hold them in place. And then the top of your chain, you have uh, the 
uh, rakers, which are the front of the tooth. It's another little triangle that comes up. And those, those other people call them depth gauges. But basically, they let uh, your chain dig into the wood a certain depth. So the shorter they are, the more wood your tooth of your chain will bite. Um, so the taller they are, the less wood you grab. The shorter they are, the more wood you grab. And then on the back side of the drive, or excuse me, the, the raker gauge, you have uh, a raker, excuse me. You have a big kind of C-shaped, uh, kind of a divot. And that is called the gullet. Okay, that's the bottom of your tooth. So the wood comes over the raker, it hits the tooth, tooth cuts it, and it curls down and pushes it up. Anyways, and then as you come through the gullet and up, you'll come into the tooth and the point of the tooth at the top back side of your link. And this is the sharp part, right? This is the part that cuts. And as it cuts into the wood, it shaves a piece of wood off, it curls it out, spits it out the back, and then the next tooth does, and the next tooth does, and it does it really fast until obviously we're losing enough material that there's no more material left. That's kind of the basic chain. And then we go to the power head. Now the power head's a little bit uh, more extravagant. You have, uh, basically if you look at it from the front, usually have um, what you can see from the front is probably a muffler of some sort which is kind of a metal square box um, and then you should usually have a, a bar across the top which is your handle and then there's a uh, they call it a chain brake it kind of looks like a maybe like a hand guard that you would see on a motorcycle or something but usually they move uh, for, I think like 1985 after 1985 I think pretty much everybody has a, a chain brake and basically what that does is that it has a little break inside of the power head. And when that thing is pushed, so if your hand pushes that forward, it has a little clamp break that clamps onto the, the inside of the uh, driving mechanism and stops the chain. So it's a safety feature. So if you get kickback, which is the thing we can talk about later, if you get kickback, and that chain, that chainsaw comes back into you, and that that bar and that chain come back at your face. Your wrist will hit that that break, and it'll stop. And so it might hit you, but the the chain won't be turning and catch you up. Hopefully, that's the theory. So from the front, you're going to see the handle where the bar goes across the top. In front of that, you're going to see the chain break, and then usually a muffler. That's about the most, and then obviously your chain and bar, but. Uh, that's what you're going to see from the front. And then if you turn it to the side, usually you're going to see your pull start. Or you're going to see the chain cover, which covers the area of where the bar and the chain connect to the power head. Depending on which side you look at. Usually uh, the bar is attached to the right side of, of the power head on almost all saws. Um, and then the opposite side, you're going to have your pull, uh, pull cord, which is going to be usually your left side. And then if you look at the back, you're going to have your grip. Now, the grip is where your trigger's at, and usually where your on-off switch is at, and most saws nowadays, also your choke. So kind of all right there, so you can move everything with your you know, trigger hand. You can set a choke, you can turn it off, you can give it throttle, 
all that's done usually with one hand, maybe a thumb and a finger. And then usually on the backside of the saw somewhere, maybe under a cover, you have an air cleaner. Probably the carburetor is right there underneath the air cleaner. And usually somewhere around in there, you have a spark plug, um, which is usually connected by a big black wire. So that's that's kind of the gist of it. And then I guess if we roll it over to the left side, we pull off the cover uh, where the where the bar attaches. Uh, you pull that off and you can see there's the drive gear. And that's what your chain will go around and the dogs, uh, not, the, not the dogs, but the, the drivers on the chain will go around that. And that's what turns it's kind of a gear cog and that's what pushes your chain. And then that is a direct line to the crank. Which the crank is attached to the piston, and the elbows connect to the wrist, and the wrist is connected to your fingers, and you're, you know, and all that stupid thing. But, anyways, uh, basically, that's your drive. And then around that, you have your, your chain brake. So, if, if you're thinking to yourself right now, holy crap, what is this guy talking about? He's literally just rambling off stuff. Then go ahead and get yourself a chainsaw. And then listen to this, and then just kind of walk yourself through as I'm talking about this, and it'll make more sense. For, your, for you to have an imagination that can visualize this, great. We'll keep going. Uh, but basically, that's the basics of a chainsaw. Now, if you, if you look at, let's just start at the back, right? So, if you're going to start a chainsaw, you want the chain brake set. Now, the chain brake you push away from you to set it. You'll hear snap usually or click in a lock in place. Now, when you start it, you can give it throttle and that chain won't move. Actually, the, the engine will bog down. So, first of all, when you go to start your saw, click that forward, make sure your chain brake is set. Okay? Then, the way you start any, any small engine, I don't care if it's two stroke, four stroke, old, new, whatever. The way you start a small engine, and nobody taught me this for years, so I'm going to tell you this right now, is you don't touch a throttle. You don't give it any gas at all. Period. End of story. No questions asked. Never touch a throttle on a small engine before you start it. Okay. Now, you set your choke all the way close. So there's a little butterfly on the carburetor, and when that is fully closed, it's choked. Okay. And what that does is it forces fluid. Up through the carburetor, less air helps combustion, initial combustion on a cold engine. So pull your choke without touching the throttle. You will pull your pull cord until you hear the engine go pop. What I mean by a pop is it's going to sound like it kind of wanted to start, but it's not just vroom, vroom, vroom. It's actually a vroom, vroom, Okay? When you hear that, like my sound effects, when you hear that, then you know it wants to start. But if you keep it choked, it's not going to. So at this point, you move it to half choke. Okay, so now you're going to open that butterfly up on the carburetor and allow a little bit of air in there to mix with that fuel so you get the right fuel mixture. Once that happens, once you put that on half choke, you pull it one more time, it should fire. Do not touch the throttle. Okay, if it does not fire, do not touch the throttle. Pull it again. If it doesn't pop, if it doesn't sound like it's going to start, it goes back and just kind of kicking over with, with no uh, combustion sounds to it. 
And he's just going to ring, ring, ring. You know, no pop, 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 pop. Nothing like that. Then, at that point, give it one little click of the throttle and try it again. Now, if, you, if it hasn't started by that point, there's something wrong with your saw. Now, I'm not going to get into throttle or fuel, air mixture adjustments or anything like that. But at that point, your saw is not tuned proper. So you either need to take it somewhere and have somebody look at it or watch some YouTube or, you know what, just, just take it into somebody until you learn how to do it. But that's how easy any small engine should run. It should literally be a couple tries with full choke on. It should pop. You should put it to half choke and it should pull and it should fire. That is it. If it is not doing that, it is not running properly. Now, a lot of ethanol fuels will cause this. So, if you have a small engine, side note, if you have a small engine, you should never, ever, 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 ever run ethanol fuel through it. What you want is non-ethanol. Okay? Ethanol is alcohol. Alcohol destroys plastic and rubber and anything else that's in your carburetor or carburetor, fuel lines, any of that stuff. It's going to eat it. Not to mention, over time, if it's not stabilized, it'll separate from the fuels, causing moisture, causing other issues. It gums up. It, it's, it's horrible stuff. Okay, In a small engine, do not run ethanol. Now, if you have a car and you want to run 10% ethanol, all right, it's probably not going to hurt it. But if you have a small engine, trust me when I say 99% of people that have problems with small engine equipment is because it left the ethanol in the fuel tank or in the carburetor or just use ethanol period so off that soapbox back to what we're talking about so now you should have a chainsaw that should be idling and running on the ground now because your chain brake is is on the chain is not going to move but it should just sit there and idle and you should always have two hands on the chainsaw okay so once you have that thing sitting there idling on the ground or you have it in your hands, you're ready to go to work. But we probably should stop there and go back and talk about something else called PPE. Personal protective gear or equipment actually. I mean PPG. It's not PPG, it's PPE, which is personal protective equipment. And that's and that's kind of the most important aspect of, of anything I think is safety. So let's go back and talk about PPE. So, when running a chainsaw, your PVE, you have hard hat, glasses, protective glasses, eye protection, whatever you want to call it, hearing protection, earplugs, muffs, whatever you got, long sleeves, okay, because you don't want to cut your arm, cut your, scratch yourself up, whatever, long pants, leather boots, because that's protection. That leather's thick and will give you a few seconds of protection from a chainsaw uh, chain if you try to cut your foot off. And then the most important of all of them is chaps. Now, chaps uh, are leg coverings that you wear over top of your pants. And they're made out of uh, nylon and Kevlar. Now, if some of you don't know what Kevlar is, it's the same material they use to make bulletproof vests. It's a very strong fiber 
uh, woven fiber. But uh, instead of stopping something like a bullet, the way it works uh, in the chaps is that your chain goes around, right? Remember we talked about the little gear, drive gear in, inside uh, the chainsaw that pushes the chain, uh, where the chain break is, uh, and all that stuff. Well, if you were to cut yourself in the leg, the 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 Kevlar fibers get drawn up by the, the teeth of the chain, and they're long, really long fibers, and they get pulled up, and they wrap around that gear and stop it. And it kills your engine dead. And, it's, and it does it so fast that usually you, you don't even make it all the way through the chaps before it will force up. Now, there are some times where you, you can still get cut there, but your chances are extremely reduced. So, what it does is it's not, it's not that you can't cut through them. They're not cut-proof. What it is is it pulls those fibers up and it binds up inside your chainsaw and stops the chain. So, think about that. Just because you're wearing chaps doesn't mean that you can't get cut. It just means that your chances are greatly reduced. So always wear chaps. They're well worth it. I've had a lot of encounter, uh, close encounters in my life, and I will not run a saw without chaps. So there you go. There's your PPE. There's your basics on your saw. You got that sucker running. We got all our PPE on. We're ready to do some stuff. Okay, so I guess we should probably talk a little bit about how a chainsaw works as far as cutting goes. So we know how to run the chainsaw, right? We know that there's a chain break and how that works. We know that if you hold the throttle, the chain goes and it spins around really fast. It's really loud. It's very dangerous. So now we're going to cut, right? So the chain is always the top of the chain, the top of the bar where the chain is going away from you. Then goes around the tip of the bar and then comes back to you. So whenever there's there's two types of inertia or force that happens when you run a chainsaw. So along the top of the bar, when you when you bore in or when you cut straight into something with the top of the bar, it wants to push the saw back into you, okay? Because it's sending energy away from you that makes sense so it wants to push the saw to you now when you're cutting with the bottom of the saw it does the exact opposite it wants to pull the saw away from you right because the chain's coming back to you and so inertia is going to force things away so it's going to pull when you are use the bottom of the bar and when you use the top of the bar it's going to push back at you okay basic concepts now there's a no man's zone on a saw, or what we like to call the kickback zone, right? So on the top of the bar, right at the tip. So if you think of the tip of the bar as a circle, okay, the top quarter of that, from where, from where the bar starts to curve down to about center of the, of the tip, right? So that top quarter, that top half of that curve of your tip of your bar is a kickback zone, meaning that if you touch that to something solid, that bar is going to want to come straight back into your face. That's just how it works. 
Now, you can use the top of the bar and it doesn't want to do that. But that little section of that tip, for whatever reason, I mean, I'm sure there's some physicists out there that can explain it better than that, why it does it. All you need to know is don't use that top corner of that tip. So, everything is pretty straightforward. Just watch out for that top tip corner. Now, the bottom tip corner doesn't do that. You can use that bottom corner of that tip all day long and never have any problems. You can nip little limbs with that, or it's fine. Just remember, you got that. So, now, another thing we should probably talk about before we get to wielding a saw is that there's a thing called blood bubble. And it sounds really cool, and uh, it's really kind of freaky. But basically what that means, if you're, if you're running that saw anywhere that you could move in a 360 degree circle, with that tip of that saw, wherever that tip of that saw can reach in a 360 degree circle from where you're standing, is your blood bubble. That means that it is dangerous and anybody standing within that could potentially get cut. Okay? So it's kind of like when you're using a firearm, keeping it downrange, pointing it only where you need to point it, same with the chainsaw. Everybody that's working around you should know where your blood bubble is, and you should be aware of your blood bubble at all times. So, you're aware of your blood bubble. You know the dangerous parts of the saw and what, what parts to use and what parts of the bar not to use. Um, now we're, I think we're ready to do, do a little cutting. So, let's look at bucking, for instance. Now, bucking is the concept of cutting a downed log or cutting perpendicular through a log. Okay, so you have a log laying on the ground, you're going to cut from above it down towards the ground. That is called bucking. Now bucking is seems very straightforward and super easy, but it's actually pretty challenging because there's a thing called bite or a thing called tension. And the tension could be in compression or in tension. Uh, yeah, I, I probably confused you a little bit there. There's, there's two forces, right? So there's compression force and there's tension force. So if you take a pencil, for instance, right, and you hold the, the pointy end in, in one hand and the eraser in the other hand, and you put your thumbs underneath of it, and you go to bend it, right? You're going to bend it both tips towards the ground. The underneath side of that where your thumbs are pushing up, okay, that is compression, meaning the forces are pushing towards each other. And the forces on top are pulling away from each other, okay? That's tension. Tension is pulling in opposite directions. So if you had two trucks, a contest to see who can pull who further with a rope, right? If you got them hooked up, what they call that uh, tug of war, right? So if you got tug of war going on, that rope is in tension. It's getting pulled from both ends. At this point, where that pencil's being bent with the tips pointing down, the top of that pencil is in tension. Both ends are getting pulled away from each other. Or on the bottom side, that energy is getting pushed together. That is compression. It's getting compressed. So, with that in mind, knowing that if you have the tips of that log are are getting pushed down by gravity, so let's say under this log that you're going to cut, there's another log in the middle of it, maybe just left or right of where you're going to cut, and, grab it, and both ends of that log are suspended. The gravity 
is going to pull both ends of those things down, causing compression on the underneath side and tension on the top side. Now, when bucking, you want to start by relieving some pressure on the compression side because you have the entire log still held together and so you can cheat by going under and releasing some compression just a little bit to where your saw is not going to get pinched but you know you can take care of that later as you come through the tension wood and enter the compression wood it's already cut and you don't have to worry about pinches so the true way to do this is to start on first relieve the wood underneath Okay, so if you got your compression wood, you take a little bit off underneath, maybe an inch or two, depending on how big your log is. I would say 10%. 10% of the uh, diameter. So if your diameter is a 20-inch log, you take off two inches of the bottom. Okay? And then you roll around to the top. Now, the thing about bucking is, is if you make a cut on the bottom, a relief cut on the bottom, you need to have the cut on the top exactly over top of that. So you have one straight line when you're done. If you get off and you have one line, say an inch or so to the left of the other line, your your wood is not gonna cut properly. It's gonna be a mess and it's gonna have issues. So whatever you do when you're, when you're bucking a log, when you're cross cutting a log, make sure that your line, if you're gonna do a relief cut, that your line is straight above the other line, okay? So, We've made our two inch relief cut on the bottom, we've come around to the top, and now actually what we want to do is we want to release the tension on the back side of the log, the side opposite from you, okay? So one is a safety issue because if that log explodes or barber chairs or blows up or does whatever crazy things the logs do under pressure, you don't want to be over top of that thing. So first of all, you, you get your relief cut on the bottom, you come across the top of the log, you cut the back side first, okay? So you cut that back side, and then you roll your saw over top of the log, cutting the top of the log, and then once you get your bar parallel with the ground, then you start your descent down through the log, trying to match up to your compression cut at the bottom. Now, if everything works right, because everything in the top end of this thing is in tension, the log should fall away from you, and your bar should be fine, no pinches, log cuts nicely. Oh, and one other thing I forgot to mention, whenever you're cutting a log, whenever you're bucking, always stand on the uphill side of what you're cutting. Now, some people might say, well, why is that? And other people might say, well, that's obvious. Well, I'm gonna tell you the reason for people that don't understand gravity, right? The great thing about this whole thing is it's simple. Gravity is simple. Gravity pulls things down. Well. Here you go. If you're on the bottom side of that log and you cut it loose and now you have a free log rolling around, guess where it's going? Right at you. Okay? Shit rolls downhill. Never forget that. So, stay on the uphill side of, of the log whenever you're cutting it. And, you know, make sure to pay attention. One thing I didn't talk about earlier, and probably now is the time to talk about it, is cleaning your work area. What do I mean? Well, uh... I, what I mean is, is make sure there's not any uh, sticks that maybe the log fell on top of when you fell it. And now there's sticks that are under tension. And basically, if you accidentally cut them, they spring up 
and hit you in the face of the leg or something and hurt you. Or you trip over them and then you fall with a saw. I mean, just make sure that everything is clean. If you have to go around before you start cutting and clean up your work area with your saw or by hand or whatever to make sure that you don't have any tripping hazards or anything that could possibly be uh, any kind of safety hazard, uh, you should do it. You should take that time because I guarantee you the time that you take to prep when you're running a chainsaw and being safe is going to keep you working out in the woods longer. So take that for what it's worth. Another side note. But anyways, so back to bucking. So now you can have the opposite problem, right? So let's say you have a situation where the belly of the log is on the ground, and which would be the middle, and both ends of the log are suspended by two other logs, right? So it fell across two other logs on each end, the belly or the middle of the log is laying on the ground. So now you have tension on the bottom and compression on the top. Well, in this case, you would do the exact opposite, except for the fact that you can't do the exact opposite because the tension wood is underneath you and you can't get a saw unless you want to sharpen your saw because you're cutting rocks. Uh, you can't do that. This is where we get into things that are a little more technical um, and it's probably not exactly something that the beginner should try, but I will explain it so you understand it. Uh, and in this situation, I would probably use a thing called a bore cut. What I would do is the same, same concept, is that I would come up from the top and I would cut my compression wood first, you know, get my two inches or whatever. But what I would probably do with this scenario as well is I would probably cut a little bit of the back side of that thing. Um, kind of like we did on the first buck, but just a little bit on the back side. And then I'd roll it over the top, cut a couple inches of the compression on top. Not enough to where my saw is going to get pinched, but enough that I get as much as I can before my saw gets pinched. And then what I would do is I would come down and I would just run the tip of my saw down. So I keep this continuous line of uh, on the bark with my, with my teeth, making a little, I don't know, quarter inch, half inch groove in the wood or in the bark to can bring my line down so it's kind of track my line so I make sure I'm on the same point and then I would tip my the head of my saw down so the the head being the the power head and so that the tip of the is now still on the wood but the tip is pointing up so basically the only thing touching the wood right now is the bottom half of the tip okay and then I'm going to go ahead and give it some throttle and I'm going to let that just that tip just kind of eat into the wood. Now, remember, we don't want to use the top of the tip. We have to use the bottom of the tip. So I give myself enough room. I'm cutting in, and this is called boring. And I'm going to cut in. And once I get the tip in and it's working to where I can straighten my saw out so now it's perpendicular to the ground again, I'm going to plunge or bore straight through that log. Now, once you're all the way through the log and you can look over and see your tip pointing out the other side. Now you're going to go give it a little throttle and give it some up pressure and some down pressure. Hopefully, I would say probably cut up first. Um, I'm trying to think of, remember my scenario here, but I would probably cut up first as close as I can to, and then I would cut down. Um, and then that log should drop away. Okay, it should drop down to the ground or open up the bottom. And then from there, Sometimes if you can't 
get in there now and cut all the way up through the, the compression side and, and cut up over the top, it's still got some uh, some pressure issues there where it could pinch your saw. Then what I might do is I might come up from the top and then cut a wedge shape in the top and remove, remove a large chunk of wood that way that if it tries to push together, it's got a long ways and I got time to cut through. Also, another thing that you can use is a wedge. A wedge is exactly what it sounds like. It's a triangular piece of metal, wood, or plastic, usually a polymer of some sort, and it's used to go into the groove of the wood, otherwise known as the kerf, and separate the wood or keep the wood from compressing together. So if you have a pinch saw, so let's say you read the wood wrong and all of a sudden you got some compression coming down hard on your bar and your bar stuck, okay? One way you can get that out, uh, if you don't have another saw, which most of us don't carry two saws with us, is that you can put a wedge in there and beat that wedge in with a, the flat side of an axe head or a hammer, and it'll separate that wood far enough that you can actually pull your saw out. Now, wedges are used a lot in falling uh, for getting a thing called lift off the back of the stump and getting the tree to go directionally where you want it to go. But as far as bucking goes, if you have some compression issues, wedges are great tools to help you out. Now, another way you can do this, a couple different ways of dealing with a log um, when it's in compression. So let's say that you read the log wrong and right off the bat, well, you can make that initial cut in the top of it. And as it starts to come down and pinch on your bar, when you have compression on top, you can pull that out. You can drive a wedge in there on that wedge in there and now that's going to hold that log in place so you can come up underneath and cut it underneath and get it away. Anyways, wedges are a great tool and if you have a saw and if you're doing anything with saws and logs and wood, um, any kind of cutting whatsoever, whether it be falling or bucking or limbing or whatever you're doing, you should always have some kind of axe or pounding device and a couple wedges. It has saved my butt a million times. So. Another thing that I haven't talked about that I kind of forgot about is when we're talking about the, uh, the gap or the channel that your chain cuts. So the, the, the material that is removed when you run your chain through it, that is called a kerf. Okay, that, that three-eighths of an inch or whatever it is that uh, gap that is left after you cut through a piece of wood, that's called the kerf. So you might hear somebody refer to the curve and what they're talking about is that line, that the part that you're cutting. So anyways, those are some basics. Now you can get into the technical stuff and there's lots of YouTube videos and lots of good stuff on YouTube uh, for referencing this kind of stuff. Uh, but there's, there's different kinds of binds and leans and multiple binds and uh, all kinds of stuff, including, uh, you know, different things as far as different types of cuts, what to do if your wood is in severe binds or bowed or spring-loaded. Anyways, uh, and then there's also falling, which is a whole nother kettle of fish. But what I wanted to do today was to kind of give everybody a quick overview on how to run a chainsaw, safety equipment to use, and get you guys out there, or at least get your interest up uh, and, and check out some stuff online. So uh, I'll give you a couple recommendations, or at least one recommendation right off the top of my head. Uh, there's a guy out there on YouTube. His name is Buck and Billy Ray Smith. 
and he is a phenomenal, phenomenal, I can't even speak, a phenomenal teacher of saw work and how to run a saw and how to do things. Uh, he has great videos. Uh, he's a little bit of a squirrely guy, but I kind of like that because I'm a little bit of a squirrely guy myself. So, yeah, it's uh, it's good information, and you can learn a lot in, in a really short period of time. But like I say with everything else, if you are interested in doing this kind of stuff or you want to try it, find yourself a mentor. Find somebody that's got some experience, um, and make sure it's just not your buddy that has been running a saw two weeks longer than you have. I mean, get somebody out there that really knows what they're doing. And, and go have some fun. Learn a new skill. Learn a new trait. Hell, you might even find yourself a new career. But go out and do it. Try it. Just give it a whirl. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. So anyways, with that, I uh, hope everybody's doing well. Hope COVID is, is doing badly. Because I don't like COVID. And uh, I'm out. I feel for anybody and everybody that is suffering and hurting right now. Wasn't many years ago, I was in the same boat. Um, 2008, actually. Had nothing. Pretty much lost everything. And ended up in a very rough patch. But, here's the thing. I don't care who you are, where you come from, what you look like. The great thing about this country, whether you want to believe it or not, is that if you have the will and the drive, you can accomplish whatever you want. No person will stand in your way. Now, I know some people think, well, you know, there's there's people out there to get me. People out there that are going to stop me from doing what I want because of gender or race or whatever. And I'm here to tell you, it's bullshit. This is my opinion, but it's bullshit. Because, I'll tell you why. If you want something bad enough, you go after it. Now, if you, for say, let's say that you have a roadblock, somebody's in your way, Maybe it's maybe it's because of, you know, inequality. Maybe it's because of race. Maybe it's because of gender. Or maybe it's just because that person doesn't like you. It doesn't matter. Okay? That doesn't mean you stop, quit, and give up. It means you reroute and find a different way. Okay? That's that's the problem with people today. You try something, you hit a wall, and you stop. You give up. That's not what you do. If you want to be successful in this world, you have to do it on your own. What I'm talking about is when you come to that wall and you cannot go forward, there's four other directions, five other directions to go. You can go up, you can go down, you can go left, you can go right, you can go back. Okay. Stopping at the wall and not moving, you're no, you're never going to get anywhere. You're going to be suppressed. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be stuck. 
but nobody's telling you you can't go left, right, up, down, or backwards. All they're saying is you can't go forward. So you come to a situation where somebody is is treating you wrong or not allowing you to expand your ideas and move forward with your life plan. Just change directions. I'm not saying get a different life plan. I'm just saying maybe you try a different company. Maybe you start your own company. Screw them. But you can't. You can't just stop at the wall, sit down, and start complaining that you can't go anywhere. Okay? But I think I think if people if if people truly understood that, there would be no stopping any of us. We would all be doing exactly what we want. The other thing that I feel is a big issue right now. And it's a touchy subject, and I know it's very emotional. But it's finance. Everybody's talking about the man's got them down. They can't do anything. We need higher minimum wage. Well, here's the thing, people. Minimum wage was made for high school students and college students. There's no way you should be working at fast food restaurants, making minimum wage, and say, yep, that's my career. Because that's not what it was designed for. It's the minimum. It is a starting point. Now, you make it on to manager and, you know, you're making a decent living. Yeah, you know what? Awesome. I'm glad you made a, a, a career in management and fast food. There's nothing wrong with that. Just absolutely. But you can't get to the first wall, which would be moving up from working fast food and being a teller or a cook or something like that and just stopping there. That's not what that was designed for. You have to get off your ass and find a different direction. So going to finance. Even if you were to live your life and as a fast food employee, i.e. minimum wager. If you were to live within your means, meaning you only spend the money you have, you live the life that that money allows you to live, you do not create debt, you do not create credit card interest, you do not create anything outside of what you can pay with cash. Now, that is equal to anybody across the board that is doing the same thing. Rich people, the reason they look carefree and, and seem like they're always on vacation and doing stuff is because the money that they're taking in is more than the money they need to live the life they're living. Okay? That is the equality. That is where the line is drawn. Now, if you make more money, then you can step it up, but stay out of debt. Because I'll tell you what, here's something that people don't think about. They say, well, the one percenters, all these wealthy people, they got so much more than I do, blah, 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 blah. Well, here's what, here's something to think about. When you go out and you buy that boat on credit or that big fancy truck on credit, and you're paying six, eight percent interest on 
dollars guess what? All that money you're going to pay on that thing goes to those one percenters because they're the investors. They're the ones that have the extra money to invest so that you can loan. You get the loan because you're borrowing money from them. Now, why would they do that? Because they can make money off of you. If they have extra money that they don't need to use to survive or even to play with, it's just sitting around. They can loan it to you and make 6% off of that by doing absolutely nothing. Think about that. Or 10%. Or, heaven forbid, you have high-rate credit cards that are 30% interest. So for every dollar they're making off you, or, I should, excuse me, for every dollar that you spend, 30 cents of that goes to them. It's crazy. Crazy to think about. So, here's what I'm saying, people. Instead of giving 6% or 20% or 30% of your paycheck away to making payments to something to, and somebody else is getting rich off of you, save your money. Put it in a savings account. And yeah, you're not going to get 6% off of it unless you put it in a money market or a CD or something like that. But if you just put it in a savings account, you're still going to accrue a 1% annual interest rate. So at least you're making something off your money. And if you save your money, even if you're saving it for something specific, like say a boat. Okay, let's go crazy. Let's get a boat. You're saving it to get a boat. And all of a sudden, you know, you figure it's going to take, let's just, let's just hypothetically, it's going to take you three years to save enough money for a boat, you figure. So you're in this thing. You're two years deep into your boat savings. Something comes up. You need that money. Let's, heaven forbid it's a medical issue, but let's just say something else comes along. You find yourself in a position where, I don't know, maybe you found a great deal on a house. Well, now you have enough for a down payment. Or maybe you have enough to get something else that was actually you never thought you would get. Because you needed to uh, go ahead and buy this other thing. And you figure, well, I'll get this and they'll never have the money to do that. But maybe that comes out first. Who knows? And I guess I should say there, there's a little difference here between revolving interest, which would be like credit card debt and stuff like that, where the, it's not tied to anything. It's just debt. Versus something where you would actually lend money or get a loan for something like a mortgage. Something that's tangible, right? When you look into mortgages or buying a house or a piece of property or something like that. By, by no means am I an expert on this stuff, guys. But I do know this. That stuff, you're paying interest on. But you're also accruing interest in a form, right? So you're, you're accruing, um, equity, which is basically interest. So you buy something like property or house. It's always going to go up in value. 
it will always go up in value. You can argue with that as much as you want. Anybody can throw that in my face, but I guarantee you, I will win that argument. It will always go up. As my grandfather used to say, there's only so much land. They don't make it anymore. And there's making more people every day. So supply and demand means that land and housing are always going to go up. So with that said, your house or your property, as long as you keep it in relatively decent shape, don't turn it into a junkyard, is always going to go up in value. And who knows, in the right location, even if it does become a junkyard, the property, the land itself, might continuously go up. But that's the difference. Uh, so you have property, which is always going to go up. So that's an investment. You're always going to make money off that. So the the debt, the interest that you're paying um, is counterintuitive. It, it's just, it, it's almost a stalemate, right? Like, so you might gain money and you might lose a little bit of money. But in the end, you can always sell that property for at least what you paid for. You're never going to lose money on property. So in that case, it's not an issue, right? That's that's a positive loan. That's a positive debt. Where when you buy something like a boat or just credit card debt or even a vehicle, those things are always going to depreciate, meaning they're always going to lose value. They're never going to be worth what you originally paid for them. So, in those cases, that's bad interest, or excuse me, bad debt, because you're paying that extra interest for no reason, if that makes sense. So, anyways, revolving interest is basically interest on something that has no tangible uh, ability. You cannot resell it. You cannot make money back off it. It's not going to accrue uh, any kind of uh, positive interest for you. It's all negative. Okay, that would be your credit card. You go out there, you spend it on groceries, you spend it on fuel, you spend it on a vacation somewhere. You can't turn around and sell that to get out of debt. That's revolving interest in a nutshell. I mean, it's deeper than that, but that's that's a gist. You're spending, you're, you're paying interest on stuff that is non-tangible. And if it's non-tangible, you can't resell it, you can't barter, you can't trade it, you can't get out of debt with it. You're stuck. It's wasting. Okay? Those kind of purchases are what cash is for. Anyways, this is a long soapbox. I don't mean to get into this so deep, as usual. But what I'm trying to tell you people is, if you cannot pay cash for it, don't do it. Unless we're talking about something that you can get a return on, something you're investing in. Okay. That's a little different. Now, if you look at the numbers and you can invest in something, and yeah, you might pay a little interest up front. You might be a little negative when you first go into it, but you know that that's going to turn around and be a positive. And you're going to make money off that? Well, then the risk is worth the reward. So, anyways, that's 
where I think a lot of Americans are right now is we we are a country of excess. We love stuff. We love material possessions. We want to be the Joneses. We want to have this. We want to have that. And, oh, he's got one of those. That's cool. I want one of those. Well, I can't afford it, but hey, guess what? I got credit. I'll go get it on credit. And I'm guilty of this myself. It's taken me years to figure this out, even though I've been beaten over the head with it my whole life. Live within your means, okay? If all Americans lived within their means, our country would be so much better. So much better. But it's so enticing everywhere you look. Oh, look, here's a pre-approved credit card for $35,000 in the mail. Just comes to you. All you got to do is sign your life away. Or, oh, look, that TV ad looks really cool where all those people are in bikinis and drinking Mai Tais on the beach. And it's only $35 for the rest of my life to buy a condo there or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's all around us. The temptations are all around us. But you have to be a strong human and say, no, I got to live within my means. Yeah, that looks awesome. But I'm not going to go there. I will not go there. Don't go there. Stay within your means, stay happy, and push for the skies, people. That's all I gotta say. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and all the other podcasts that I have recorded. If you have comments for me, or maybe you have a suggestion about a new podcast, or maybe something that you want me to research and find an expert that might explain it better to you, get a hold of me at weinke. 333 at gmail.com or you can also find me on Instagram at Mediocre Outdoors. If that doesn't work, you can always get me on Anchor. Anchor Anchor.fm Leave me a message. Mediocre Outdoors. Thanks. I appreciate it and keep listening.